Keep going. Hello, 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 hello. That'll work. Eddie, you want to just give me something? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Siblings. Siblings. Uh, so subtle. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Kenny and welcome back to this week's episode of Bourbon Pursuit. This past week was Veterans Day, so I want to send a special thank you and shout out to all of our veterans out there. Thank you very much for your service. Always greatly appreciated. Never forget. Sazerac, the company behind Buffalo Trace, is purchasing 19 brands from Diageo. The highlights of these brands being purchased are Seagram's VO, Seagram's 83, Seagram's Five Star Goldschlager, and Parrot Bay. The sale of these brands is expected to be completed by the early portion of 2019. Heaven Hill Distillery has also unveiled plans for a multi-million dollar expansion and rebranding of the Bardstown Visitor Center. This is to help grow the tourism for the industry and expect an even more innovative and state-of-the-art experience, especially if you're accustomed to going to the Edmund Williams Bourbon Experience downtown, you'd kind of know what that innovative portion really means. We're going to find out more details this Friday, and we're going to have some more information that we can relay via social media. Last week, Fred published his article on Forbes for the 2018 Best American Whiskey Everyday Sipper. As many probably already know that Ezra Brooks Barrel Proof won out in a very surprising show because he had actually gotten that recommendation from our Patreon community. So really cool to be able to see that. And he's going to be doing his best of 2018 on Instagram live tonight, November 15th, 2018. So tune in and follow him and you can watch his best of 2018 All-American Whiskey, Bourbon, Rye, whatever it is. And you can also check the show notes for his article in Forbes. Patreon shipments have gone out for October. There were a lot. And I still have the October monthly giveaway to do. Uh, I think there was close to like 60, almost 70 packages that I had to put together. So make sure you start checking your mailbox for all those Patreon community members that have surpassed their six months at this point. And the October monthly giveaway is going to happen. So look for that happening next week. Our first barrel pick for 2019 has been secured. Now, if you remember back, we had Bo Beckman on the show and he talked about the single barrel select program. And I was on my computer, I was frantically clicking refresh. So it was uh, probably about 5,000 other people because the website crashed about 20 seconds before it was supposed to go live. And I was actually fortunate enough, able to secure a barrel of Buffalo Trace for our Patreon community. The date for the barrel pick is actually set in January. So if you're a community member, look for the sign-up form to happen relatively soon. And as always, thank you to Keg and Bottle out of the San Diego area that is going to be taking care of shipping this barrel and all the bottles across the nation to everyone in our community. So make sure you go and check out the website, kegandbottle.com, to look at over 700 whiskeys that you can have shipped to your door nationwide as well. Now, this past week, I had some very fortunate news. I, got, I get this email... It's kind of like a Sunday wrap up and uh, it's from a a site called Podkite. And then I had to kind of go and double check it with another site. And it was kind of gives you an idea of where your podcast is ranked and overall of iTunes, as well as, you know, where what new reviews came out, so on and so forth. And I was really surprised because we hit our highest ranking ever this past week. Uh, We were number six, the number six podcast in the arts and food category inside of iTunes. 
and also number 77 in the arts category as a whole. I mean, we are we are creeping up on the door of some of the bigger podcasts out there that we have the opportunity to get into the top 200 of iTunes podcasts overall. Uh, it's it's amazing to be able to see that. And it's not that just me and Fred and Ryan, our team that got us here, it's because of you all. You all help spread the word. You leave reviews. You know, like it's, we always said about those iTunes reviews, those they do, they go a far away. That's what helps us get those rankings. And that's what helps spread the show and get it out there to more people. And as well as when you go and you tell a friend about this podcast, they have the opportunity to learn and share that knowledge with you as well. Now, today's podcast, we've had Jimmy and Eddie on the show before, and we've got some upcoming episodes featuring Bruce and Joanne themselves, but I don't think anyone has ever had all four of these people sit down and talk at one at one time. We go into bourbon, we go into family, we go into the roles they play in the business. We talk about the new Kentucky spirit glass design, and maybe they weren't too happy with it as well, but we also dig into a lot more. It's a family affair with some good exchanges of compliments from each other around the table. Now, with that, enjoy this week's episode, and here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. When Forbes asked me to write a holiday gift guide, I was reluctant. The last time I wrote gift guides was for Parade Magazine in 2013. I felt my soul being ripped out of my body as I was following their SEO goals for their online publication. I had to pick an ice tray and suggest cocktail shakers I didn't even think were that different from the competition. I hated it, but my book editors loved it because, hey, nursing homes and school teachers read Parade. And they thought, if they read Parade, they may just read my books. Fortunately, I've built a career where I no longer have to depend on such nonsense. With Forbes, I only wrote about the whiskey. And that's even somewhat annoying. There are so many damn gift guides that I just feel disingenuous following the formats of the modern guide. So I did it my way basing it on price and what kind of personality would be well-suited to drink the bourbon. I never said one was better than the other, that's for my blind competitions, but I did suggest the music lover sip on Larceny and the feisty one kick back Wild Turkey 101. You'll have to check out the story on Forbes to see why I said those things. But at the end of the day, as much as I hate to admit it, and despite my thoughts going in, my gift guide is just another list that will be cycled through social media and cause a stir for leaving somebody's favorite bourbon out. As somebody told me on Instagram recently, why should I listen to you? And the fact is, you don't have to. And you're the best judge for the best bourbon for you. So, you want to know the ultimate bourbon gift guide? It's the one you write and give to your loved one. And that's this week's Above the Char. Hey, make sure you're following me on Instagram and Facebook. I'm starting to do a lot more live tastings. Search for my name, Fred Minnick, and you'll find me. Until next week, cheers. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. 
They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 000 Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or thebourbonconcierge.com and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Welcome back to an episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Fred, the, the new duo right now, we're on, we're on site here at Wild Turkey. And actually, this is the, the place... I'm about 150 feet away from where we recorded last time with Jimmy and Eddie here, which was in the old visitor center. But now we're we're up on a hill today because they had uh, some some other kind of barrel rolling competitions or something going on this past week. You know, it feels great over here. We're underneath a nice tent. It's cool. And, you know, it just feels like history of Kentucky all around us. You can almost smell it. You can almost smell the rickhouses. <laughs> I can smell them. <laughs> smell good. Yeah, they're coming in. But let's go ahead and we're going to get this kicked off right away. And... We've got the whole, not the whole Russells, but we got a good integral part of the Russells here that take care of a lot of the operations of what you see from distilling, from tours, from tasting, to uh, shaking hands at the gift shop, from brand ambassadoring. If that's, is an ambassadoring even a word? I don't know. We can well, it, it, it. if it's a word, I think the Russells patented it, you know, <laughs> long time ago. Cool. So what we're going to do is we're going to start here on my left. So just really quickly, just introduce who you are and where you kind of fit in this whole family. Sure. I'm Joanne. I'm Jimmy's granddaughter. Um, my mom is his daughter. So that's kind of how I got started here. Um, and I kind of take care of everything from helping with barrel pick tours to hosting events here at the distillery to also doing a little bit of brand ambassador work. So Ambassadory. Absolutely. <laughs> and we forgot to mention that there is going to be plenty of trucks going by, as Jimmy had mentioned before we started here. So we got to at least 5 p.m. that the trucks are not going to stop. So <laughs> Eddie, go ahead. So I'm Eddie Russell, Master Distiller. I'm just here to keep Jimmy Russell straight. <laughs> I'm Jimmy Russell, the Master Distiller. I'm kind of new at this job. <laughs> uh, I'm Bruce Russell. I was the National Brand Ambassador, but I've been replaced. Uh, and so now I'm kind of transitioning back to uh, the distillery, learn how to do what these two guys do. Now, now you've, they've been, they're, they're pastoring you all the time about moving here. So what's up with that? Yeah, it's move here, get married, have grandkids. You know, it's the typical thing you get from your grandpa. Uh-huh. They just want you to kind of get yourself locked in. Like you got to be a part of this. Be back here all the time. That's right. Me and Mimi. That's what I. That's what I call Jimmy. Me and Mimi are uh, getting ready for Dad to leave, so me and him can take over. <laughs> <laughs> now I've got a. I've got a funny little story to share about Bruce. Uh, he was on a panel with me at at Tales of the Cocktail, 
Remember that, Eddie? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Eddie, I don't, I don't want to get, I don't want your, your vein to get pulsed up there. <laughs> but you remember what he said when he was uh, talking about uh, drinking whiskey and Coke? What did he, he mentioned, he mentioned another brand that wasn't Wild Turkey. You remember that? Yeah, I might remember something about that. He said a few <laughs> things up there I sort of had big smiles about. Did you did you have to give him a talking to after that? Or is... uh, you know, he knows everything, so I can't tell him to. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say to that, Bruce? I said it sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I say I'm not my statement. I think that product tastes better with Coke than our product. I don't think that's a detriment to our product. <laughs> I think that says something about us being pretty good. There you go. Oh, so what you're saying is, is the other one was inferior and in that it needed Coke? I'm just saying it has a very particular flavoring note right. that matches really well with that vanilla and Coke. <laughs> that's a well played. It's like he knew Thank I was going to bring this up. That's right. <laughs> So how long have they been putting the pressure on you to start moving back from, from Mimi over here? Uh, I mean, probably as soon as I moved. Uh, <laughs> I spent some time doing a lot of what Joanne's doing uh, in the visitor center, giving kind of VIP tours and, and that kind of thing for a while and worked a little bit at the distillery. But I got to spend uh, a good amount of time kind of apprenticing under dad and Mimi before I left. And I think having that time where you're with somebody – every single day sitting in their office pestering them because that's how I was, writing down everything that they would tell me, notebooks full. I took his notes that he had written and transcribed them down in my own hand. And uh, I think after I'd pestered them so long, they're probably glad to see me leave at first. But then after I was gone a little bit, they're like, wait, I kind of like to have him around. <laughs> uh, so I think they want me back now, not only to to get me back here and see me, but to, to teach me uh, the stuff that they know. Uh, I've got the best two, you know, mentors in the world right here. Could also be because they love you, Bruce. <laughs> I mean, for God's that's, sake, that's, here, it's that's, family. That's more my mom and my grandma. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Eddie? What do, what do you say to that? Like, are you excited to have him here? Or are you kind of like, well, give me just a few more years in the spotlight over here. Oh, no. Uh, I'm happy to have him back. I need the help. Um, you know, it would be good to get him back to where we can get him trained. I think that's what it's about for us at Wall of Turkey. We want him to actually know everything about the job and not just have a title. So, you know, he knows a lot about it, but getting back just to get down to the, the fine details of how to do everything. So I'm looking forward to it. No grandkids for me. That's just his mom. <laughs> <laughs> not ready. Not ready for that one. No, we haven't even got rid of them yet. So. <laughs> Jimmy, how old were you when you started working at a distillery? I started September 10th, 1954, and I was 19. I turned 20 in November of that year. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, so he's he's slow to the game in comparison to you. <laughs> you know, the old master distiller here was a young distiller before prohibition by the name of Mr. Bill Hughes. Yeah. And he put this distillery in operation, and he started training me. Normally, when you start in, you start in at one job, and you stay there, barreling or uh, bottling or wherever it is, but they keep moving me around. Every time I'd learn a job, I'd have to move, and they trained me on everything here. What has changed from like um, from the operation standpoint from from that time that you first took started and when you were 19 years old to today? Well, at that time I was in quality control and in the story. Uh, you would take samples and everything was done by hand, and you didn't have all this fancy stuff to do the same. And you might end up with a scoop shovel shoving it out of the truck before the day was over with. You done a little bit of everything, 
Nowadays, everything's taken to the lab and done in the lab and everything. Same with sampling. We used to sample all the barrels in the warehouse. We'd go to the warehouse and taste them. Now they bring them to the sensory lab and do all the tasting there and everything. Uh-huh. So uh, and we was making 60 barrels a day. When I come, we had four storage buildings. Now we're making 560 barrels a day. You got what is twenty eight stores buildings now? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Got one going up and up. So, but which one? Which one's named after you? All of them. <laughs> <laughs> the ones cross road here in front of the old Hayward house. It was built in eighteen ninety four. So it's a lot of bourbons went through that house in the last hundred and some odd years. So, so I, I think if an old warehouse, this actually brings up a pretty good question. You know, we've. All seen the familiarity of the Barton 1792 warehouse falling down. Now, you just talked about that old warehouse. Have you all done anything recently to sit there and bring people in, certify them, look at them, look at the plumb bobs, whatever it is, to make sure that everything's still in good shape? Yeah, so we have plumb bobs in each corner in the middle of every warehouse and check them every month. Uh, if you have something wrong, music uh, comes down and checks things out or fixes things for you. It's constant work to keep them up to, up to grade. You you got to keep them balanced. Uh, you know, if it gets out of balance, it's going. It's nothing you can do about it. Especially around here, we have a lot of tornadoes, and sometimes, but we've never lost hardly any barrels in a tornado. We lost a lot of roofs and sidings and everything, but no barrels. Mm-hmm. That incident was so bad for Bourbon. You know that warehouse incident. Yeah, you know something I didn't understand about that. Half of it fell, then. Week and a half later, another half fell. Way ours is tied together with braces and all. If if it's going, the whole thing's going. I think I don't see how. It's what, definitely the first one we'd ever seen fall half like that. Uh-huh. So they must have been working on it, I guess. So we're going to start cons- conspiracy theories by the Russells. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Joanne, what's yours? I have none. You have none. <laughs> Bruce, nothing else to add. You know, I'm a conspiracy theory about that one. Uh, no, nah, I think it's. It just probably was tilted over, and it wherever that foundation was weak or the bottom of it was weak, it probably just had it keel. Is what I think they called it, split right down the middle. Uh, I would I've never seen anything like that before. Because it crazy. looks like you cut out a piece of pie, like just a section of the. It was like perfectly down the middle. Could uh, be some bourbon collapsed warehouse bourbon coming out at a nice price. Oh down. no, they would never do anything. <laughs> <like that. laughs> Don't say that because I'm sure we would. Yeah. <laughs> Every opportunity is a marketing opportunity. That's right. That's oh, right. Yes. That's it wasn't thing. always that way, though. Like when you would, uh, when you were coming up the ranks, you had the federal government that would check every single thing that a distillery would say. Now it's much, much looser. Uh, well, yes, in ways, but still, you know, up until the 1980s, it was nine or ten government men sat here with us every day, carried all the keys to the buildings and everything. They checked everything. They checked the grain when you, before you could unload it. They checked everything. They would check, check, check. You go in a storage building to pull the barrels out, they'd be right in there with you. Same way with filling barrels. They sat in the cistern room where we filled barrels. And back then, you had to, every barrel had to be uh, gross and weighed. You had a different proof gallon on every barrel. Yeah. Nowadays, and each one of them was serial numbers, one, two, three, you know, down the line. Now they have lot numbers on them and they all put in it. Ours is rated to 53 gallons great capacity so that's the way it is nowadays do you think that the distilling industry misses that the the government oversight that closely well you know they still control us pretty close we have inspectors comes and we never know when they're coming in here they come in doing inspection on you 
every so often, make sure everything. And a lot of times, I think they come in here and we don't even know they're here and go on the tours and things and see what. Well, actually, Kenny's undercover. Yep. So that's that's part of this whole uh, podcast. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> it's a long con. He's been doing it for yeah. a long time just for this. So far, you got a B plus. It's pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I think back in the old days, it wasn't even as much government. It was Jimmy and Booker Noah and Albert Tilly and Parker Bean that wouldn't allow each other to go out and spread marketing that wasn't true. Yeah. You know, I think it was those guys because they were basically the ones making it. And if they would call each other out if they went out and said <laughs> something that wasn't true. So I think it was a little more them. We're, you know, it's such a bigger category now. And we've lost, um, the, the business has lost its way with that because now you have, you have so much marketing you never knew that so many's grandpas had secret recipes right. in an ad. <laughs> it's amazing. Well, not only that, like Master Distiller. I mean, what, is the, what does Master Distiller mean to you, Eddie? Because Well, to me, you know, the Bookers and Jimmys and Elmers and those guys were Master Distillers because they'd worked all through. Nowadays, it's, you know, it was a great honor to be named one because of them. But nowadays, people are master distillers before they ever make whiskey and things like that. So it's a little different now. It's just sort of more of a title that's put up on you. I hate how it's changed. The people that have changed it have taken away the opportunity for somebody like me or up and coming distiller to really be a master. Because now, even if I work 30 years like Dad did and get that title, most people are just going to see me as the same as somebody that started tomorrow. Uh, master distiller today kind of just means head distiller, the yeah. person in charge of that place. Mm -hmm. Where it used to be, you would get the title head distiller and then would work for a long time and then be a master, but it's kind of reversed. I don't think anybody's hardly calling themselves a head distiller anymore. It's just master. And, you know, I know Kenny, Kenny and myself, we both have, in our, in our careers, we've actually tried to call people out and bring attention to this matter. And it has not done a dang thing for it. No. I don't, <laughs> never will. I don't know how you stop it. Uh, marketing is too powerful. And, and at the end of the day, your normal consumer that's going to Costco or um, a big liquor store or wherever to buy their liquor, they just want to see Master Distiller because it sounds pretty. You know, mm -hmm. uh, They don't care about the difference. Uh, now, we might, the people in the industry and the people that really care, but uh, that base consumer kind of controls all. Jimmy, when you look back on, I mean, all your friends, Booker, Parker, you know, Mr. Hugh, who taught you, you know, you've got to be disappointed to see that that trend of people just taking the term master distiller, not truly earning it like you. Well, did. you know, I say, uh, Eddie and I, we started in production. Uh, Booker was in production. Elmer was in production. Parker was in production. And actually, I was the first one they ever sent out on the road. Uh, it was all marketing salespeople. And I know the first trip I made been, what, 30 years ago, I guess, or longer. I made a trip all the way across the United States. And everywhere I went, it was whiskey. Didn't make any difference what it was. It's was all whiskey. Nowadays, you better know what you're talking about because everybody, like Fred and them, writing about them and everything, people know what's going on now. And you say something, it's going to be on the Internet in a little no time, right? Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Well, let's take that and, and kind of flip it. You know, so we talked about how master distiller maybe not be the, the correct term that we're giving people now. Now, there's another way that also people look at this and they're like, well, master distiller is just a talking head nowadays. They're not actually distilling, right? They're on the road, they're marking, they're doing anything. So what's your kind of take back against that as well? Because there is there is that side of the market that does see that. Oh, I definitely think it's a big part of it. And, you know, Jimmy and Booker and them set the, the way for all of us because people want to see the people that we're making. There's not too many of us that 
do make it still and go out on the road. But, you know, for us, and that's what's about Wall of Turkey, we've always been genuine and open and tell the truth about things. You know, I started here in the union, worked every job here, you know, all the way through. I was 35 years before I came a master stiller, so Jimmy's I guess I'm slow. He's still, he's still whining about it, isn't he? He's still chuckling. <laughs> he didn't think I was right when he started. <laughs> yeah, what did you think your name was, Eddie, when you uh, were? My name was No for about 25 years because every time I'd ask Jimmy something, he'd say, No, no, no. Now I can outrun him, so I, can, I don't have to ask. That's, that's one thing about it. We haven't changed our formula. Been the same formula just about to. We make our own East every day. Uh, we still have our own East Coast. And all I can tell you about the East is 64 years old. It was here when I got here, and we're still using the same East culture. Now, one thing that you all did change, and I don't know, you know, it was part of, like, the accountants, but it was the barrel entry proof, like, in the last— uh... We did, and, and really a lot of that came from, you know, up until the 60s, you couldn't even barrel higher than 110. That's right. And when I came here, Jimmy and our—, our uh, head CEO Sylvester Rubato, they said the best whiskey went in the barrel between 105 and 110. So we did it at 107. Well, everything was fine until Jimmy came out with Rare Breed. You know, if you just stayed with one product, you'd have been okay because 107, you dump, it's 104 or 5, you bottle at 101. But when he came out with Rare Breed, I was having to steal all of my older whiskey off the top floors to get the proof. And then all of a sudden, all my older whiskey was below 100. <laughs> You know, I did a diamond for his 60th anniversary. I yeah. wanted it to be 101 because he's Mr. 101. When I dumped it, it was 95 per. Uh, I had to quit doing a 12-year-old 101 in Japan because I couldn't get 101 proof. I had to go to a 13-year-old 91 proof. So I went to 110 for a couple of years in 2004 and still was struggling a little bit. So we do our entry proof at 115 now. Why does it, you know, we've talked about this before, but why does the proof in some warehouses go down and some of them it goes up? Well, in our typical warehouses, you'll see more moisture comes out of the barrel. So a white oak membrane will actually let a water molecule out, but not an alcohol molecule because it's denser. So as it gets really hot on those top floors in the summer, it pushes that water out, but eventually it soaks into the barrels in the bottom and the proof goes down. So you'll have more liquid at the bottom, but your proof will be lower. And the longer it sits there, the lower proof it's going to be. Uh, just the same way up at the top. So, you know, if you put it in at 125 to get 140, you're going to have to put it on the top floor for several years to get it that high. But what you're doing is taking water's actually coming out of that barrel. You think about alcohol evaporating faster than water, but if you got a very dry place, the water will actually go through the pores and that wood and leave the alcohol strength. I like Eddie said, in a damp, cool place, it'll go down and proof because the water can't get out of that barrel. It'll drip back down in the barrel, and you won't lose near as much out of the barrel as you do with where you, the alcohol's going up all the time. Joanne, you taking all the notes over here? I really am, though. <laughs> every, every time they talk, every time I see them in the distillery, I try and kind of absorb as much as I can um, while they're still around and still working here. I mean, like Bruce said, they truly are the two best mentors that you could ask for in the industry, so. And you got them on speed dial. Yeah, that helps. it's nice. It's They're nice. pretty cool. <laughs> when people are coming in for for a visit, are they wanting that level of detail? Level of detail? 
It definitely depends on the group. Um, yeah. I think if they're in the industry, they want kind of like the more nerdy chemistry side of how we do things here at Wild Turkey. And then sometimes you kind of get that general public that's just like, I want to see what you guys do here. Um, so it's definitely about reading the group and just seeing what they want to know when they ask those questions, what details that you want to go into. Well, as I say, they're better educated now. They know what's yeah. going on. You know, Fred, if, uh, if people knows what's going on now. Like I said, when I first started out, it was all whiskey. It didn't make any difference what it was. But now people's down to details knowing exactly all about it. And you got the bourbon societies, women of the bourbon society, the whiskeys of the world, and they're on contact with each other all the time. And they know if you do something a little different, it's going to be on the internet in a little no time. <laughs> it's true. Do you ever read your Yelp reviews from the tours? I used to when I was a little <laughs> bit more of a tour guide position at the visitor center, just in case, because I know these guys hold hold our family to a very high standard, but not too much anymore. <laughs> See what your Christmas bonus is going to be like. <laughs> <laughs> no presents, presents this year. It just yeah. depends on, the, on yeah. the Yelp reviews. It's changed completely on how I interact. I mean, for my first 25 years, if you went out on the road, you went to a retail store and signed bottles. Now, when I go to a city, I'm meeting with the USBGs, the bartender guilds. For the first time in my whole life since college, I have a PowerPoint where I get into the science behind it. Uh, I learned it through apprenticeship with Jimmy. You know, you, he used cooking a lot to describe why we did things. Because it tasted good was his main thing. Mm -hmm. When you'd ask the question, because it tastes good. Uh, so hundreds of years behind me, but... You know, going back and trying to learn a little more of the science behind it and what happens when you distill at the lower proofs like we do, what happens in that barrel. So that's things the bartending community especially, you got to get into that detail. But like Joanne says, if it's just a normal consumer, then it's just general stuff. But when you're getting into people that's in our industry, bartenders, even distributors, you have to go a little extra step because they're asking those questions now. I mean, do you really look at the the bartending community as like that next gateway or the gateway to driving even larger adoption of wild turkey worldwide? They're a hundred percent. They're there's they have changed our industry completely because most young men and women are going out to a bar in a social setting, having their first Manhattan old fashioned Boulevardier, the old classic cocktails, and that's what's getting them into bourbon. You know, so the more information, they're our first line of of talking to people. You know, if somebody comes in and says, you know, I wanted a bourbon, which one do you recommend? We want them to talk about wild turkey and why wild turkey is special to them. Uh, so those are the type of things that you really have to get into, more so than just smiling, shaking hands, and kissing babies like and it I, used to be. I will say that some some brands don't get that about the bartenders. Uh, wild turkey has made bartenders a priority. And I think for that reason, you, act, you see – a lot more wild turkey cocktails um, and that their parent company Campari has a lot of liqueurs and everything too that they can pair it with. So not all bourbon brands do what they've done to get, to get the bartenders. And, and I'll say you, you can definitely tell now, Bruce, that's kind of like your thing. Like you're, you're out there kissing babies and shaking hands at the, yeah, that's kind of what bars. I've been doing for the past four years. Um, and, and it is my peer group. Uh, it's people my age that are out there making these drinks and that have Wait, really you're saying your dad doesn't relate to them? Is that what you're trying to say here? <laughs> That's pretty close to what he's saying. Yeah, pretty much. For the uh, audience as well, like state your age because I think there's a lot of people that don't know. Yeah, I'm 29. Uh, and when I first moved down to Austin, I was 25-ish. 
uh, right around that age. And it's people, it's really exciting, but it, it's people from 21 to in their 40s now that are working behind bars, that are working in restaurants, that, that are working in, in these liquor stores that are really pushing American-made whiskey. Um, it, it has never been as strong as really it is today overall because even when it was good back in the day, I don't think that you saw the amount of young people thinking that what we do is cool. No, this is the first time in history that every generation has been drinking bourbon at a high level. And it's so exciting to walk into a bar and see a 24 or five-year-old person that's six months into working behind a bar, but they're so excited to see Jimmy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's so cool to me, thinking that, you know, when he started, the only people who knew who he were, was, was us in Japan, and that was it. <laughs> uh, and now it's... 21 and up if they're a consumer of American whiskey and everybody knows who he is. You know, the, these guys, him and and Booker and Elmer and them, but even the guys today like uh, that travel around like Dad and and, uh, and Denny Potter that was in Heaven Hill and... No, he's a maker's mark now. I know. <laughs> I was well, in Heaven you, Hill. Yeah, there's a keyword that was was in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but these kind of guys that travel around that, that like the dad's kind of generation of guys that are out there traveling. Now they're the rock stars. Uh, and it's really cool to see how excited people get when they talk to these guys. I'll say this, Jimmy, you have meant so much to bourbon and to me personally and to a lot of people out there. You're, you are bigger than life well, for a lot of us. I mean, that. I mean that. You know, when I started in the business, it was selling cases, sell boxes. You wouldn't worry about bottles and all. And this is where the big things come in now with the bartenders and all mixed drinks. And my age, it was a Southern gentleman's drink. They got their yeah. cards or cigars and their bourbon, went to the back room and played cards and drank their bourbon. Now it's come a worldwide drink. And it's anywhere you go in the world, the export market is huge now. Was there a moment for you that kind of captures your career, this amazing story career? Was there is there a singular moment that you can point to and say that was... That was good for me. Yes, well, I think, you know, when they started going to the bar, everybody going to bars and all city just selling boxes. That's what all the salespeople back in that day and time, all they were considering how many cases they could sell. Or now, and to me, I'm not going out here and pay $40, $50 for a bottle to see if I like it. You'll go to a bar now and they have uh, cocktails or have mixed drinks or have drinks and do sampling. You can taste everybody's bourbon. See, what's, my thing is, in taste, everybody tastes a little different. Enjoy what you like. I, it's not, even though I want them to drink wild turkey, but I just get the word bourbon out. So I want to kind of rewind it back a little bit when you're talking about going to liquor stores and signing bottles now, because I know you, you all had the opportunity to do this, but I want to hear what's the worst part? Or is like, is there one question that you always get that you're just like, here we go again? Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in-line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns. 
from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. So I want to kind of rewind it back a little bit when you're talking about going to liquor stores and signing bottles now, because I know you, you all had the opportunity to do this, but I want to hear what's the worst part? Or is like, is there one question that you always get that you're just like, here we go again? Who wants, who, don't be shy. <laughs> What's it like working with your family? <laughs> I think that's my favorite question. Uh, well, he's already, he's 29. He's already a curmudgeon. I mean, my God. <laughs> I will say Fred's never asked me that. And <laughs> <laughs> say people like Fred and them, the writers, is doing wonders for us. And back in my day and time, you never saw any writing about the Bermans or anything. Nowadays, anywhere, everywhere, podcasting and all, you know, it's on all the time out in the fields and everywhere. See, we're your new front line, right? right. Yeah, we're your new bartenders. We're getting we're, you out in front of all I, I would say the media, the whiskey media is more like artillery. You know, yeah. Yeah. we're more kind like, of backup because the guys. No, artillery is to, not backup. <laughs> <laughs> but the guys that are doing what you, that are listening to this is not the same consumer that's at the bar. It's a kind of a different assault. You all are helping us kind of. I need to teach you about military. Okay, you do. We're, 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 you do. After this, I'll explain to you how important but, artillery is. <laughs> you all kind of keep us fresh in the minds. I think podcasts are kind of the biggest thing right now. That and like online blogs and stuff mm-hmm. and stuff like. You know, bourbon forums are kind of keeping the what we all you know lovingly refer to because I am one a bourbon nerd. Uh, the bourbon nerds out there getting continuing to grow in their wild turkey love. Where the bar is really a consumer usually that's uh, a newer consumer. That's the consumer we're excited about because we know the guy that's going out of his way to listen to your podcast. It's a turkey fan. He's drinking our product. That's the guy that's probably my buddy that we're talking about secondary stuff or whatever about. Uh, it's just kind of a different. You know, thing. I think you cut your dad off right before he was about to say something. So I'm curious to see what see what Eddie's going to say here. Oh, we you're talking about the thing you you know that you sort of get tired of hearing. I mean, as you're out on the road, and you know, I've taken over a lot of the travel out there a lot, and it's always the question, well, who's doing things if you're not there? (laughs) Um, And it it's like they think maybe it's just one person but we have employees that's been here on the average 20 some years you know we have great people that are work here you know that's why i want bruce to come back so where there one of us is here all the time jimmy comes in you know some most days but you know he doesn't get into the steering as much as he used to so it'd be nice to have somebody to help him plus for us it's you know like you said we we don't want to bestow a title on bruce unless the title is deserved. And he feels the same way. 
I mean, we've talked about this a lot. He doesn't want to just come in here because I always tease him that I'm going to retire before Jimmy does. <laughs> and I'm serious. They just don't listen too well. You got different plans. You got, <laughs> yeah. you got, you got some money stashed away for a That's condo right. in Florida or yeah. something. Got enough whiskey stashed away. But, <laughs> you know, having Bruce here to where he can learn all that stuff. So that'll be important to us also. Absolutely. So there's another thing I want to kind of talk about the whiskey in general, because this is something that you don't necessarily see at a wild turkey a lot, but you saw it in the last release of your master's keep was the a lot of like finishings, like barrel finishings. I want to get a little bit of your opinions on barrel finishing and where you kind of see that inside the market and if wild turkey is going to play more in that market as well. Well, I think what we look for, with, especially with the master's keep series, is something that's different, something that's unusual. Uh, Jimmy, you know, didn't experiment a lot, but some of the things he did was way before anybody else with honey flavored bourbon back in the seventies. Now, didn't he? Didn't you just? Didn't you like? I wish I didn't do that. No, no. Oh. It's always actually we done that for uh, people mostly for ladies back in that day and time. Thought bourbon's a little strong, and uh, we made it's bourbon with honey and sweetener and flavors added to it, and it's huge market for us now. And uh, same thing, with a lot of other things that. Uh, We've done. Uh, they talk about that. I've done a lot of experimenting over the years, but uh, uh, never did put them out on the market. But we've we've made uh, the cherry flavored one many years ago. We had one in. Uh, so there. Speaking of the internet, there's there's a there's one of the social media forums out there that claims that you went to a Louisville Bourbon Society. And got up there and said that you wish you never did the uh, the uh, the honey the honey um, whiskey back in the seventies because it's sort of flavored whiskey. No, I've never said that. I don't know. You know that that's <laughs> His memory say, short though. Yeah. Pioneer. That's, that's also to say that we you know we can't always trust everything we read on the internet. <laughs> you know, actually, the first one to come out was called Wild Turkey Bourbon Liqueur, and. It, and then we changed it from 2006 to American Honey. Well, it changed a couple times before that. Yeah. But yeah, 2006 when it came American Honey. But for me, what I stand for is I know what Wild Turkey's about. I know how Jimmy built this business, using the best ingredients, non-GMO corn, being premium, distilling in low proofs, barreling in low proofs. So I would never change that. But I think it's fun to see things that are a little unique. You know, the first Master's Keep was the only whiskey we've ever aged in brick warehouses. Decades was basically what I loved. The Revival was just paying a tribute because he did a, a Loso Sherry cast back in the early 2000s. Back then, it didn't work because your consumer was a guy who just wanted his in a glass or maybe an ice cube. So for me, yes, I'm looking at other things. Not all of them do hit the market. I mean, there's stuff that we tried that we didn't feel like was worthy. So I always keep that in mind. I definitely don't think we're a flavored, you know, we're not going to keep doing apple and cherry and all that stuff. That's not that what we're That seems Walt to have Turkey's died about. down a lot, yeah. too, like industry-wide. You know, it's one of those things. It's like vodka. You know, when vodka first came out, it was just vodka. Then you had to go to flavors. And then the flavors, you have to change them every two or three years. You had to have a different flavor. Yeah. And that's, I think that'll happen the same thing in our business. Yeah. Yeah, I talk to people like the bartenders we have here that behind the barrel and they camp out here and well, not this go around, but back in the spring we brought in about 60 and 
One group, I would tell them things I was doing. I'd say, don't tell Jimmy because he wasn't there. <laughs> so if several of them got tattoos that said, don't tell Jimmy because <laughs> you know, he doesn't need to know everything. <laughs> you probably all get that little uh, little on your back, just don't tell Jimmy, right? <laughs> That's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Who says I don't already have it? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I say, I've done a lot of experimenting. Uh, uh, back in the 50s, Bruce has got the book. Uh, where I hand, well, you had to handwrite everything back in that day and time. There's a lot of things in there that I was doing back in the 50s and 60s, just now coming coming up. Like different grains and stuff? He was making gin. Oh, wow. And we made gin here for a long time. Yeah. But we made gin. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did he tell you if you wanted to make that now? It cost he just you? said it would cost an extreme amount of money compared to what it cost us back then. So, yeah. Something about the botanicals that he was using at that time were much easier to get, I guess, in the 50s. And that's the thing. It's just such a new consumer. Yes. I mean, when I started here, uh, our company had a chemist that he was putting wood staves in barrels to try to make it taste odor, wood chips, Things like that's going on now, but your consumer's so different. So they, they look for those sort of unique and unusual things. Uh, for me, it's like the Loso Sherry Cast. You know, it's been about nine weeks in the barrel, and people just like, well, that's not long enough. But for us, that's when it tasted the best. You know, so things we'll do, and we'll, we'll keep trying things. I'm a little bit fascinated right now with the barrels. Uh, the company we buy barrels from, Independent Stave, they're, they're really into how you burn that barrel, which brings out more vanilla or more caramel, more baking spices. So things like that. So I'm constantly looking uh, because you've got bourbon and we've only got one recipe. So there's only so many things I can do. I can keep putting out a 14, 15 year old whiskey, but sooner or later people, well, it's just another 14 or 15 year old whiskey. So Yeah. And you kind of you know, that's one thing that Wild Turkey's really hung their hat up on is having this this one mash bill, this one way. Now, you talk about looking at experimentations with different kind of barrels. Like, why not look at experimentations with different kind of mashes? I mean, well, I'd love to, uh, but Jimmy's still around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my experiments would be pretty big with our distillery. I mean, I'd love to have, and I've pitched that they, you know, put me a little distillery here where I could do five or ten barrel batches. You know, now I'd have to do 600 barrel batches. Mm -hmm. So if you got 600 barrels and it turns out no good, then what are you going to do? You know, uh, so it's a little tougher. Just throw a party. You know, and we, like we said, we sort of hung our hat on what Jimmy's built it on with that one recipe. So we don't want to stretch it away from what Wild Turkey stood for for all these years. So there's things we can do and there's things that I won't do just out of respect to Jimmy. Now, Kenny, there's one thing that I think Wild Turkey does not get enough credit for, and that's their rye. That Russell's Reserve six-year-old is is um, easily one of the best ryes year in year out. And, and Bruce, I know that's kind of one of your uh, your pet projects is is the keeping the rye alive. Absolutely, I got lucky that I really liked rye, and Mimi does not. Uh, so it's one of those things that when I came in and showed a, a real interest in it and kind of a love for the product. Uh, especially in comparison to either of these guys at the start, and I've slowly converted dad now, um, that they've kind of let me be the right guy uh, to, to get in here. And, um, I, you know, we've got something coming out in the future. I don't know. Dad can talk about it because I don't know uh, what <laughs> okay. we're allowed to we say. All, we all sign NDAs here. But <laughs> we've got something coming out in the future with some – 
barrels that me and dad were tasting when I first started here on rye. Uh, and that's really exciting that it's going to be something that I got to taste before it was ever even an idea and kind of set some barrels aside for something that's going to be really good. Uh, I'm going to continue to, to really push our rye production as much as I can. Um, you know, we've gone from two days a year to multiple days a month sometimes now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's still a demand for our rye. I still hear, you know, uh, we need this or we need that or, you know, uh, we don't ever get single barrel rye or we can't get 101 rye. 101 rye is still only in the States or North America, really. Can't get it overseas very much. Uh, so there's a whole other market out there. Yeah, for me, you know, Jimmy Russell taught me what I know here. He made me learn it on my own, but he did it <laughs> supervising me. Um you know, and I felt like I learned from Booker and Elmer and those guys because they were Jimmy's best friends on bourbon. But I've learned a lot from Bruce on the rye. We made rye. You know, I liked rye a mixed drink, but when Bruce come in and wanted to taste those single barrels, you know, we did the six-and-a-half-year-old rye, which we thought was great, but we didn't drink a lot of it. And then Bruce comes in, he has a passion for the rye, and I'm taking him through tasting barrels. and. It taught me a lot. So, you know, 37 years in, I'm learning from the young generation. So it's good to be the middle child, I guess. You know, my day and time, rye was basically for mixed drinks. You didn't, in Pennsylvania and Maryland, when I started, it's like bourbon. If it doesn't say Kentucky, people don't think it's bourbon. But you can make bourbon in place in the United States. When I started, if it didn't say Maryland or Pennsylvania rye, it wasn't rye whiskey. Yeah. Now, our rye whiskey is the old formula. We put corn in our rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. Now, is there so Bruce? Bruce had mentioned that you didn't really, you don't really care for rye. Why is that? It uh, one of the things about rye whiskey, I think. The thing that I've noticed, people, when you do a blind tasting, people that likes rye whiskey for the first time, they're normally Scotch drinkers. It's a correlation between Scotch and rye. Well, you'd be surprised how many people when for you the do the older generation. Not so, the do you generation. do you like do you like either Scotch or rye whiskey? Some scotches is all right. Uh, he's so I'm, he's so firm in bourbon, he can't yeah. like oh, yeah. anything else. You know? I haven't seen him drink any scotch. <laughs> well, I was an international judge for probably 15 years in London, England, that big judge. Mm-hmm. And we was judging all scotches, all any, any <laughs> except for it. That's uh, a giant horse fly went up my nose. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, we, I was a judge, and we judged all kinds of scotches, uh, Irish whiskeys, Japanese whiskeys. Everything we were judging all those. So and bourbon you, was always you, better. You a Scotch guy at all, or you just you no, stay away? No, uh, good. You're going to fit in great with this podcast. <laughs> He's more of a tequila guy. <laughs> hey, I like that. <laughs> what about you, Joanne? You, you experiment outside of the family uh, bourbon kind of ride? Definitely. I think more so in the past year, just kind of indulging myself in this industry. I want to try anything and everything that I can. Um, just like every time I'm out with Bruce, it's, have you tried this? Have you done this? Have you tasted this? And That might I think, not be good, though. Yeah, yeah I've been, I've been <laughs> it's out, always good. I've been but, out with Bruce, too. <laughs> <laughs> not the most trustworthy, right? Um, but it's definitely the best way to learn and compare to things because a lot of times you get those drinkers that come in and their head set on, I love this product or this brand. 
and it's one thing I've learned from Bruce and definitely these guys is, oh, you like this? Have you tried maybe this product or this product that could be a little bit similar to that and maybe convert them to the turkey brand? So one of the things that you know we've been talking about is learning a lot from you guys. And, and Eddie, you've already said that you know, you've started to learn a little bit from Bruce in regards to ride. Jimmy, I want to kind of point this one to you is what have you learned from younger generations that you're applying today? Well, this is saying that uh, the younger generation is wanting different types of drinks now than the old, old timers wanted strictly straight bourbon. And uh, nowadays, everybody's experimenting, wanting different things and going on with them and uh, continue to do it. Uh, I don't know how long it'll last, but it's one of those things. But I, just like in the six, 70s and 80s when gin and vodka got strong, we didn't change anything. We kept making wild turkey the same way. A lot of them lowered their proof, done different things. Our federal government even passed a law that you could make light whiskey back in that day competing with the gins and vodkas. It didn't go over. No, oh, it was a horrible decision. But you know what? There were four brands when vodka was making its rise in the 1960s and early 1970s. There were four brands that stayed true to bourbon. Jim Beam, Wild Turkey, Evan Williams and Maker's Mark. Mm -hmm. Today, those are the top four selling bourbons because then, you never strayed from being bourbon. Same way as the, when I started, everything bottled around 100 proof. Now, you know, it's went down and proof. People wanted lower proofs, lower proof. But I've seen a huge change in the last several years now. Everybody's going back to higher proofs. They don't want the low proofs anymore. They want their higher proof bourbons. And during that time, when a lot of them was losing out on uh, sales, we never did have in-laws sales. We didn't have much of a game, but we kept growing a little bit all through that period of time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think right now you could just sell straws in the visitor center and let them come into the warehouse and drink straight out of the barrels, and you do fine. Yeah, they can't be plastic, though. Yeah, that's right. The yeah, trend you is gotta, you got to figure something so, else. Straws. White oak. Yeah, there you go. White oak straws. <laughs> Reusable. <laughs> so one of the last questions I kind of want to bring up, because this one came from, uh, I don't know, you could call him Wild Turkey Superfan. You call him your stalker, Rare Breed. Rare Bird? Rare Bird, Rare Bird. Rare Bird. yes. Oh, Dave. Oh, yeah. Good guy. A great guy. And so he kind of wanted to kind of go around the table real quick and kind of look and figure out, you know, what's your honest opinion on the new design for the bottle of Wild Turkey Kentucky Spirit? Because it was something that, you know, right now it's sort of being rebranded. It's kind of just going into the rare breed barrels, right? And he kind of looked at it as like, it's big, like, oh man, like why would they do that? Like you had some that was like an iconic bottle. So what kind of what's your your thoughts on on that? And be as brutally honest as you want. Well, to me, uh, new marketing people, know, that's old fashioned. That's an old fashioned bottle, something new, something different. As long as they don't change the product inside, it's all right. But uh, that's what it is. Everybody's wanting something different now, especially in marketing. Something stands out. But I've always thought that's a beautiful bottle, and uh, they're doing away with it now. Mm -hmm. I agree with that, definitely. I think is the one bottle that stood out in our portfolio, but I also can see where marketing is going with it, and it it's the only bottle that doesn't really fit in with the, the rest of the portfolio. It kind of needed opinion. to change a little bit. Um, the way the bottle is shaped, I think there's two main reasons why Campari wanted to change. One— the bottle is the most expensive piece of glass in our portfolio, year in, year out. It's very expensive to have that kind of turkey tail fanned out. Uh, also, it's almost impossible to have a bottle with the shape of Kentucky Spirit be easily used in a bar setting because the neck is so short and the bottle is fat, kind of squat, that a lot of times when you walk in bars, bottles of that shape are kind of turned sideways. And the Kentucky Spirit bottle is not one that you can really tell what it is when it is turned sideways. So that's hurt us on premise. 
Um, about the new bottle, no comment. <laughs> Don't want to make too many people mad. Yeah, I mean, but- because you, you've personally seen this with Russell's Reserve over the past few years, right? You've had a lot, you've had a few different label changes, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. The You know, and even the last one, which I didn't like at first, really grew on me, and I think it looks really good now. Um, I hate to see this change. I think it's going to hurt the sales of Kentucky Spirit because I think that iconic bottle was part of the reason that some people went back to it. You know, it's a great taste in whiskey, but... You know, we do see, you have to think business along with what you do. And in the business setting, that bottle turned sideways and the back bar really is not good for you. You need them to be able to see it. Um, I would have liked to have seen a better design than just basically going to the rare breed bottle. But uh, it makes it easier for bottling. It makes it easier to get it out on the shelf and all that type stuff. You know, one of my biggest uh, criticisms of, of Wild Turkey in the past decade has never been really the whiskey. It has been the packaging. There's been like several uh, rebranding of, of, of packaging. And and I've, I have genuinely felt bad for Wild Turkey because the Wild Turkey 101 bottle changed, I think, three times in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, that's just too much for such an iconic, you know, everyday bourbon. It is bad for business. I don't care like who you are. If you change your product that much, especially a product that is built on consistency. I think if you looked back in him and Booker and Elmer and them's talking points back in the day, consistency was probably used more than any other word. And when you change something like that on people, your base consumer automatically thinks the product's also changed. And that has hurt us. Every time we change a bottle, what's different? What's the difference in the age or the proof or the taste or are you buying whiskey now? <laughs> and we're like, I swear, it doesn't yeah, change. It's nothing. the same. And it's really hard to convince somebody unless you bring them here or they know us. It is the same. Because as a consumer of goods, I also wouldn't believe the guy. That's so why out. why aren't the people listening to you? Uh-oh. <laughs> Somebody played Stump the Chump over here. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't mean that to be, uh, be, be, but like as someone who's passionate about bourbon and the brand, I've, I've tweeted about this probably 30 times and, 10 years, you know, and like, it's like, and Kenny's talked about it and it's like, you know, we're, we're consumers. Well, I uh, think that if everybody that works on the supplier side really loved and cared about and enjoyed the product as much as you do, honestly, then I mean, all things would be a lot different, but not everybody is going to have the same passion for our product that we do. Uh, but that's, I think why dad and Mimi and people like that are so important. Well, I'll just say that's shame. That's a shame. I feel like everyone who touches the product should have have that passion there. So we should leave it on a high note, though. Let's yeah, not, let's not leave absolutely. It on a high note. There you go. <laughs> so let's leave it on a high note. So to kind of kind of close this out, you know, since this is a very family kind of, this is I think the first time we've ever done anything like this in the podcast is have a, a whole family here together to actually talk about this. So I guess let's just go around and choose one person and kind of like what in one word like embodies them and like how you see it, whether they've taught you something, whether they're teaching you, like whatever it is, right? So I'll I'll hand it over to you, Joanne, first. I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh, goodness. Um, Jimmy, just passion. I mean, you don't, you don't find many people in the industry that have worked for 64 years um, and still come to work at 80 plus years old, you know, and hanging out in the visitor center. And it really just, when you come to the distillery, 
you can't help but fall in love with this place. You can't help but fall in love with the tradition, um, Jimmy and Eddie and what they've done here and just the passion. Um, it makes me want to work harder and, and make them proud of what I do in the future for the company. So, so is your 401k, like you're locked in here forever? Is that what you I mean, thinking? I hope so. Uh, <laughs> I don't know though. We'll see. We'll see. I hope to be around for a very long time though. Um, when I first started here, it was, I work at a distillery. That's awesome. But then I kind of really got into um, the passion and seeing what Jimmy and Eddie do on a daily basis. And like I said, you just can't help but fall in love with it and want to be here every single day. I mean, look at the view that I get to look at every single day that I come to work. It's it's unbelievable. All right, Eddie, we got to got to find a good find a good word in your heart here. How embody somebody here? Mm, no. <laughs> you know, for me, it, you, you I came here as a— You seem like a good touchy-feely guy, right? <laughs> I, came, <laughs> I came here for a, a summer job, basically, and within a few weeks, I realized I wanted to stay. And it was more about the people that worked here that I grew up around, and, you know, they had a passion for this place, and it was people I'd known my whole life. And then— as you get here, I think you realize not only what Jimmy, but even Booker and Elmer and those guys, they believed in what they did and they loved what they did. You know, it's it's amazing to see these guys that that's their whole life, you know. So I think that's what sort of gave me the passion to, you know, instead of fight Jimmy all the time like <laughs> I did for a long time was, you know, understand exactly what he was meaning about the different things and staying true to his craft. So... You know, like I said, I still, I'm learning from Bruce. I'm sure Joanne will teach me a few things down the road, but, you know, I look to learn from whoever I can, and it's it's pretty neat that you're 37 years in the job and still learning. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Bruce, we're going to go to you next. Okay. Uh, I'll do one for each of them. Uh, since uh, I don't want everybody to be left out. <laughs> uh, thoughtful guy. Yeah. Right? So thoughtful. Joanne's would probably be curiosity right now. Uh, cause she's in that kind of mode where she's just trying to, what is this? Like we'll be in bars or at other distilleries or wherever we're at and she'll see something and immediately, what is that? Uh, and it's really cool to see somebody in that part of their career. And I would say she's taught me a lot about people her age, very new consumers on what mm-hmm. they look for. Uh, Mimi's, I would say, is obsession. I don't think it's a passion. Um, <laughs> to be his age and to work in the same job for so long. People that are passionate about something still retire. Uh, <laughs> it's obsession. He, he, This distillery is a part of his life in a way that I don't, I've never seen anybody else uh, be connected to just a singular place. And it's not just the whiskey. It's the people. It's... <laughs> Just being out here, he has a different demeanor and a happiness about him that you don't see anywhere else. Um, and then dads, probably for me, it's a little bit different because I'm a son <laughs> and we work together. So it's probably patience. There you go. Um, wow. We have to deal a lot with each other here and then also at home. Uh, and he's gone out of his way to to be patient with me and kind of let me make mistakes. And then after I make the mistake then kind of give me advice. Uh, he kind of lets me, you know, fall down a couple of times and then gives me the Band-Aid. I think that's, you know, it's the best thing he could do. That was just the opposite way Jimmy treated me. <laughs> <laughs> what, he push you down? <laughs> he would push me down and step on me. <laughs> just rub a little dirt in it. You'll be all right. So, yeah, you, you just learn from your past, so. Well, I think, you know, the way Eddie was brought up, he was doing everything. If he just started up here, 
a lot of people wouldn't have had any respect for him, especially in a small community he went to school with and all. But he's done everything here. He didn't think it was right at that time, but uh, he's done everything here. And they can't, he can't say, hey, well, you never done this. He's done everything they have to do. Sounds good. Well, I think it's a good good kind of way to wrap this up, don't you think, Fred? Yeah, I, I got to say, you know, when I when I think of the Russell family, I to me, it, it just embodies all of Kentucky. You know, it's, it's, you know, we did at Bourbon and Beyond, we gave that tribute to him when unfortunate circumstances kept him from coming. And to me, through the heart of not just Bourbon, but Kentucky. And um, it's such an honor to spend time with you all every, every time. Thank you, Fred. Absolutely. So with that, we're going to go ahead and we'll wrap it up. Uh, for anybody that wants to find these people on Instagram or Twitter, I know you're a big Instagrammer now, aren't you? <laughs> Eddie's, Eddie's yeah, talking, he's really like gotten into it. a little bit. Yeah. So 34 years master, yeah, right? That's right. Joanne, do you have one you want to share? It's just Joanne Street. There you go. Bruce? Mine's Russell's Raga. There you go. And just plain, plain old Jimmy. Right? <laughs> plain, old Jimmy. <laughs> plain old Jimmy on Instagram. Do it right or don't do it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to say thank you again for coming on. If you like the show, make sure you support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. You can also follow us on all those great social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Bourbon Pursuit. And if you have any more social suggestions, things you'd like to see, uh, new guests, topics, questions, anything, send us an email, team at bourbonpursuit.com. With that, we will see everybody next week. Mm-hmm.